I never was thinking that I can be a refugee because, like, it's impossible for me. <laughs> But then also I was uh, thinking that I have, I have to be honest with myself and to call me a refugee because it's how it is. You're listening to Asylum Speakers, the podcast. I'm your host, Jazz O'Hara. Together with some very special guests, we'll be taking you on a journey across the world without you having to go anywhere. We're here to amplify voices, from the people leaving their countries and everything behind them, to the volunteers working alongside them. We'll be hearing from those with lived experience of displacement and people working on the front line, the real heroes of today, the humans behind the statistics and the headlines. Join me as we transcend borders, nationalities, religions and languages to hear from the people with which we share this world, our worldwide tribe. Since Russia invaded Ukraine on the 24th of February, I think it's safe to say that we've all been thinking about the Ukrainian people. This week I've been in neighbouring Poland, which, at the time of recording this intro, is now estimated to be home to 4 million Ukrainian refugees. I've been honoured to speak to some incredible people both leaving Ukraine and volunteers and NGOs on the ground supporting those leaving Ukraine. We'll hear from Kat and James, both volunteers from California a bit later, as well as Elmi, a Somali refugee in Poland, supporting non-Ukrainians leaving Ukraine. But first, let's hear from my new Ukrainian friend, Irina, who I met for breakfast in a cafe in Poland's capital city, Warsaw. This is her. So you've been in Warsaw for a month? Mm, yeah, I crossed the border uh, in the 1st of uh, um, March, uh, in the morning. As she says, Irina fled Ukraine just days after the war began after learning that she was on a Russian kill list for her work in safety and security services. Irina shares her story of leaving Ukraine, some of the beautiful examples of compassion that she has experienced, and the work that she continues to do to fight for her country. Before we hear from her, I'd just like to shout out to our amazing sponsors, Love Welcomes. Love Welcomes is a female-run social enterprise employing women with refugee status right here in London to make beautiful products such as homewares, table settings and gifts. And they have generously given our listeners 10% off with the code WWT for Worldwide Tribe at checkout on their website, lovewelcomes.org. They've actually just released a limited edition collection uh, produced in collaboration with the fashion brand Joseph. So I would recommend going to check that out. Anyway, here's my conversation with the lovely Irina. I am Irina Zemlana. I'm 34 years old. And I'm a refugee now in Poland. I'm Ukrainian and I'm media expert and a security trainer for journalists. You just described yourself as a refugee. How does that feel? Actually, it's really bad for me because in Ukraine, I'm quite a confident person. And actually, I'm a well-known person in Ukraine and uh, I'm just nobody here. So it's quite strange. How have the last few weeks been for you here in Warsaw? How do you feel? 
Um, actually, I can't just sit and write. So we organize a blockade of the border, Belarus, Belarusian and Polish border, to stop tracks with Russian goods to go. So I was quite busy during the days. And that's also the way don't think about the situation which you are in. Don't think about your feelings, about people, your friends. Just do some work. Yeah, yeah to actually distract your mind by getting busy. Yeah. So maybe we should go back a little bit to the beginning. And I'm really curious whether this was totally unexpected for you or whether you saw this coming. 24th of February, kind of how you felt? Actually, because I am a safety expert, I have my emergency backpack maybe a month and a half before. Okay. So it was ready. Also, I uh, told my parents what to do in different situations, what is the plan, how to go. I remember the like, last peaceful day. I, I kind of knew that it, it was a, like a feeling that it was my last day of peace so uh, before I take two sleeping pill and <laughs> two antidepressants so I had a very good uh, sleep okay good yeah. thinking <laughs> I woke up made my breakfast and then I went to visit my uh, dentist and then I, I want to have a uh, lunch with my uh, very good friend so I call her and she come in a one hour and a half what is like Impossible in KU because usually you need to arrange two weeks before. So we had lunch in my favorite restaurant with my favorite dishes. And then I went to have a coffee in my favorite coffee place. And I went to my office. Uh, I take two first aid kids, my work laptop. And then I meet my friend. He's a journalist. So he said, look. Our uh, sources in CNN just told that the war will start in the morning. So we decided to go to take my staff to his place. <laughs> and I take my emergency bag and also two pants and two t-shirts, yeah. And uh, I, I went to his place. He cuddled me and we uh, go to sleep. I didn't sleep. I was waiting and I I hear the first boom. Like fuck. War is starting and I was laying for five more minutes and just wake up. <laughs> the war is starting. I just take my backpack and in 40 minutes after I was in the car go uh, from Kyiv. How did you feel? Mm, because I'm a security expert, it's no you. You don't need to feel something. You just need to to do something. Of course, I feel like fuck. <laughs> did you leave with you and your friend together? Yeah. First, we decided to leave to the village near the Kyiv, maybe about 100 kilometer or less. And we went there because, like, for security reason, it's always better to stay in the village than in the uh, town. So that's why we decided to go to that village. 
and we was uh, about two hours and I just I had that feeling that something happened something happened and said guys we, we just need to run it's a bad place to stay we decided to go to the center my friend's uh, mom lives there and uh, we were driving there about six seven hours usually it's very close like two hours because there was so much traffic yeah and in my way some authorities from like presidential office called to me and said Ira you need to go out of the country because you know about that uh, list which uh, Russians made to kill the Ukrainian pro-Ukrainian activist and who they need to kill so they said that I'm in the second line of that list Right. Uh, so you need to just leave the country. So you specifically, because of your work and yeah. what you were doing, you were in danger? I guess, yeah. But, you know, when you're just working, you just don't think that you're a very important person. Yeah, You're just doing your job. And so we didn't stay in uh, my friend's mom's house uh, on the night. And they said, we just we need to run immediately. We just take a shower. And we went to Lviv. It takes about 48 uh, hours. Wow. Yeah, we were on the car. It was very bad. And how many of you now? You and your friend? Yes. Just the two of you? Yes. Yes. And then we went to Lviv. uh, We spent the night there. And we take our pregnant friend and another of my friend. And it was four girls on one car for another 48 hours in that car 48 hours uh, on the border wow like <laughs> it was crazy everyone was trying to leave at the same time yeah when I think in, about that now it was just I can't do it like now but on that time you just like you didn't have a choice yeah and I'm vegetarian for 8 years and <laughs> I eat chicken soup on that line (laughs) because people from the villages they just come to feed people and I was I I was thinking that it will be not very polite said no I will not eat because I'm vegetarian and of course I want to eat something and then eventually after 48 hours you crossed the border into Poland and did you know that you were going to come to Warsaw actually no we didn't know where to go where to stay nothing when you were like <laughs> on your way, some people write into you and my boss write to me and said, how are you? And I said, I will go to Poland. And she told me that uh, because we are partner for um, a reporter without border in Ukraine. And she just told me that the person who is a partner of reporter without border in Poland, she have a house and she want to sell it but now she like give it to refugees and so I have my own room there (laughs) I'm very lucky yeah and you live there with other Ukrainians Mm -hmm. it's eight of us there it's a three-floor house and we call it it's a house for media refugees okay because all the people is related with media Amazing. And she's given it to you for as long as you need? Uh, She said yes. 
That's amazing. And you're comfortable there and... <laughs> I have my own room and I'm very lucky because of that because a lot of people just like live in one flat, five and mm. six people together. What about your place in um, Kiev? Do you know if it's okay and locked and or you don't know? I don't have any idea. Um, because it was um, bombing on my area, maybe it's no window, mm. I don't know. And what about your family? Uh, they sitting, they're still in Ukraine, in the center of Ukraine. From time to time, it bombs. Yeah, and they, um, because <laughs> their daughter is safety expert, they like going to the uh, bomb shelter every time. Okay, so, good. Yeah. They've been listening to you. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm like quite happy about that. And as a safety expert, do you worry for their safety? I don't have a chance to to think about that. But like I know they know the plan, what to do if it will start to be worse. I'm quite okay because I know that they will, they know what to do. They've got they're as prepared as they could yes. be. Petrol in the cars, like food in the cars, uh, like everything. They have, they have everything. Even pills for the water, like clean oh, to clean. Wow. So they have everything. Good, good. I'm happy to hear it. And do you have brothers and sisters? No, I'm just one child. Do you have many friends, male friends that are fighting? And how does that feel? Are you in contact with them? Yes, more than 70% of my male friends in uh, in the army, they're fighting. I always uh, try to write them to say that, like, I'm with you, I'm thinking about you, like, how are you, and uh, blah, blah, blah. When people was asking me, what yeah. is your biggest fear? Yeah. I told them when I will see the first the die friend. And it was happened. Uh, my uh, very good friend, he's a journalist, he was killed by Russians. And uh, yeah. After that, I started like to worry more because it became very real. How's your sleep now? Are you sleeping okay? No, I don't sleep very well. I forgot how the last time you feel that like sweet morning feeling yeah. where you've had a really good long sleep. Yeah, I just uh, maybe I wake up every three, four hours. Do you feel supported by the Polish authorities and the Polish people here? How has that been for you? Uh, of course, it's like it's amazing, amazing support, flags everywhere, the people, they like uh, trying to do the best. For example, I had a new shoe <laughs> and uh, they, uh, I don't know if it's called, hurt me. Yeah? Uh -huh. So I went to the um, pharmacy to take the plaster. Yeah, yeah, like a blister uh, yeah. plaster. Uh -huh. And of course... Woman always wants to sell the most expensive, and I don't need it. Like it's very technological, yeah. like a second High skill. Yeah, I don't need that. Like even in Ukraine, <laughs> like. And I said, okay, do you have something cheaper? And she said, yes, and like it's more than half price cheaper. And I said, I will take the cheaper. And I was hearing the man on the back of me, and he said, Pani, 
I will uh, buy the uh, most expensive for that girl. Like, I just start to cry because I, like, the feelings was really bad, actually, because I'm very independent person and I can buy for me whatever I want in Ukraine. Just, like, send me back home. I don't need nothing from you. But on the same time, I was feeling very grateful and very... Oh, it's such a little thing, but it's like a example of just like compassion and empathy and support, yeah. isn't it? It makes me cry. <laughs> I was crying like very bad, very hard, like... <laughs> and he don't understand why. Wow, that's really amazing. We uh, went to the the stations yesterday, to Central Station and to Warsaw West, and we were amazed to see the response as well, how coordinated and comprehensive the response is with pets and SIM cards and food and medical supplies and everything being looked after. Yeah, I just want to say about that woman and her family who they give us their house because they bring a lot of food, sheets, um, every, like they bring everything for us, spend the time with us to, to talk. After this heartwarming story about the plaster, we talked about some more of the incredible examples of compassion that Arena has experienced since arriving in Poland. And she shared another story from a solidarity concert that she had attended. It was like a solidarity concert. And I don't let myself cry, but it was a sound, a Ukrainian sound about when the war will end. And I just start to cry very badly. I just can't stop. And one photographer just came and cuddled me. And it was like, I'm kind of need that on that time, but I, it's no, it's no people around what I can ask, just cuddle me. Mm-hmm. And he just... No one that you know or that knows you, but sometimes it's even more impactful when it's a stranger, yeah, right? Yeah. You feel it even more. And talking about the future of the war and when the war will end, what do you think is the future? As an expert or as a person? As a person. Don't worry, I'm not expecting you to be an expert. <laughs> Just how you feel, whether, you, whether you're thinking about when you might go home or if you're not thinking about that at all. I'm kind of afraid to, to think, yeah, to speak with myself honestly, yeah. And I don't think that uh, I will come back in the in the way how it was before because I... Irina went on to explain that she knew that her life would never be the same again. She talked lovingly about her life in Kiev and how good the food was there and the service in restaurants. She said that she hoped to return home one day uh, and for this reason she wanted to stay as close as possible in Poland until that day came. You don't have any plans to resettle anywhere else? You, you want to stay close to Ukraine? Yes, of course, of course. And I have my parents on the locator in uh, iPhone. So you and can see it, where they yeah, are. <laughs> it's always very, you feel very good when it's not so uh, it's not long. such a big distance. Yeah, I was in um, Berlin and 
more than thousand kilometers oh my god <laughs> i understand exactly what you mean it's like a comforting feeling to know that if you needed to you could go and get them in yes. a few hours right? yes um, yeah wow i honestly i appreciate you so much for sharing this because i understand that it's when it's coming from a personal place it's a difficult thing to relive and to talk about and i think you're doing incredible work giving these interviews and doing these talks and because the world does need to know and thankfully the world is listening at the moment and that must feel pretty overwhelming too right that the whole world is looking yeah. at what is happening in your country right now yeah yeah thank you for doing that because it's also very important to us so i will do what i can like for that you you really are what are you doing at the moment? I, I hear that you've been doing this work on the Belarusian border, mm -hmm. but is there anything else that you're working on whilst you're here? Yeah, we, we organize a lot of protests. Okay. We organize a boycott. Yes, I just don't have my life now. Just a mission, mm -hmm. I guess. A mission, and I guess that you feel that in your core, that keeps you going every yeah, day. Yeah, absolutely. I asked Irina if there was anything else that she wanted to share with our listeners before we parted ways, and the answer was an emotional one. I just want to ask people try to understand us. Because... Of course, like a lot of people talk about refugees that we are not very polite sometimes or we are not very, I don't know, the way of people think that refugees have to be. But we just have our very, very bad experience. We just came here without, with nothing, yeah? We don't have our, like, safety place anymore, like, child food places, like nothing. So I just ask, ask people, just try to understand us. That's it. Sorry. No, here. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really beautiful. And this podcast that we do is very much about trying to connect with people that might live far away from you speak a different language to you have a different religion to you but actually we're all human and we all feel the same things we all want those connections with our family our childhood places exactly as you say it's not about word understanding it's about the feeling understanding and uh, of course it Nobody will understand us more than which have the same situation. And I was amazed one of my Belarusian friends who need to like run because of the regime. And, and she, she just uh, leave uh, her country three months uh, ago and she was in Poland and she wanted to 
to meet me and she she gave me uh, 200 euro and I said Marina what are you doing you're in the same situation like why I don't need it and she was just crying and said like I just understand like it's not about the money it's about like support and yeah I really, as I say, could not appreciate you more for taking the time to share with us today. And I think what you've shared is very, very powerful. And I'm very grateful to have met you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. The next day we headed to a shopping mall in Western Warsaw where Irina had organised a protest outside a French supermarket called Alshan. This supermarket chain, alongside other retailers such as Decathlon and companies like Nestle, continue to maintain a presence in Russia. We chatted to Irina and her friend Natalia, who were standing outside the entrance of the supermarket, wrapped in Ukrainian flags and holding signs saying, if you shop here, you are sponsoring a genocide in Ukraine. Okay, tell me what you're doing here. Uh, so we are boycotting uh, Ashan. Uh, it's... Um supermarket who told that they will not leave the Russian market and they will use opportunity to develop their business in Russia while everybody is leaving the Russian market so now they are using opportunity to make a business. Wow, that's absolutely shameless. Yeah, so that's why we are here to show people that it's not okay. And what does it say on your sign? When you are coming to this shop, you are sponsoring genocide in Ukraine. And have you had a lot of people paying attention and asking you questions today? Yes, lots of Polish people ask uh, us why we are staying here and why Ashan uh, is not a good shop. So we are just trying to explain them. And lots of them say that they didn't know. They didn't know anything about position of this shop. They didn't know that they are still in Russia. They didn't know that they are still sponsoring this war. So when they understood why we're staying here, some of them don't want to go to the shop, but some of them still going. Because lots of people say, oh, wow, really? I didn't know. One woman even said, but I watching TV every day. Yeah. Why I didn't know about that? I said, I don't know. Recording. <laughs> At the same time, our just... friends they are staying in another shops. We are finding the biggest shops in Warsaw and going there with the placards. Brilliant. So you've got a few people in different yes. locations. Yes, location, yeah. Any other companies we should know to boycott? Yes, for of? example, Nestle. One of the biggest companies in the world that they steal in Russia, and they say that they. Selgros, nie, może pani iść do Selgrosa. Dziękuję, dziękuję. What did she say? She asked which shops are not in Russia and where she can go in, and she asked about one shop is Selgros, and asking if this shop also sponsoring the war. I said no, and she said okay, so I'm going to another shop. Wow. Good, it works. It's working. Yeah this uh, woman just going uh, in another shop and I'm sure if it's important for her she will never come back here to the Ashan. She will just uh, find another shop. Because it's not that difficult to yeah, find another yeah. shop to do your groceries. But for these people it's easy. They don't have a bomb, they don't have a war, they can choose. 
people in Ukraine they don't have any chooses now. So I'm kind of sad. Ah, disappointed, yeah. I, yeah, and I am disappointed uh, that this is a war in Ukraine. It's only few hundreds kilometers from Warsaw, and people even here they doesn't know that some shops or some businesses are still in Russia. Just think, people don't want to think. People just want to eat. That's all. During my time in Warsaw, I met lots of NGOs and volunteers here to support Ukrainians crossing the border into Poland. I spoke to one of them, Kat, about her reasons for coming here all the way from her home in California and the amazing discovery that she had in the run-up to her arrival here. My name is Kat Libor. I'm 38 and I live in Los Angeles and I work as a senior producer for a large event production company that handles things like music festivals, sporting events, and red carpet events. And what brought you here? So I'm actually a European citizen. I grew up in Europe and I've lived in several countries. Europe is my home. And when the news broke on February 24th, uh, when the evasion started and the shelling started, from that moment on, I was glued to the news. That's the most unproductive I think I've ever been at work. I was stuck on Reddit, just doomsday scrolling. I had Reddit up on my computer. I had the live feed from the cameras throughout uh, Kiev and Lviv up just to make sure that there was no heavy fighting there. And every minute was just a new update that I was taking in. And it built so much anxiety and it's all I could think about. And the more glued to it I was and the more time I was spending putting into the research and, and keeping up on this, I realized that time could be spent on the ground actually putting effort in. And due to my profession as a, an event producer for very large-scale events that, you know, will have 500,000 people at a music festival like a Coachella or an Electric Daisy Carnival, and what we study for work is how to move people safely. How do we respond in case there is an active shooter? How do we respond if there is a crowd surge? So there's an element of safety and security measures that go into my job on a daily basis that I felt we could apply here. What I was most interested in is helping mass transport logistics and how to get women and children off the border and move them onto safer spaces. And Kat, tell me the story of your discovery in the run-up to you being here. Yeah, my mom is actually one of the first people I told that I would be coming over here. So she had known, and about two weeks af after, she very casually had sent me a text. And um, I was out with a couple of friends, and I was heading home, and she sent me a photo, a black and white photo, and a text that read, um, not sure if you know, but this is your great-grandmother. She was from Ukraine. She'd be so very proud of you. She died when you were about three months old. And as you can imagine, that was very emotional because I had been so tapped into Ukraine and what the people are going through without knowing that I also am part Ukrainian. I wanna show you this photo of her because she is she is just such a beautiful woman, but she looks very Ukrainian, you can tell. 
she fled Ukraine during a war, and that would have been the revolution. She looks so fierce and so stoic, doesn't she? But she looks incredible in that photo. I want that shirt that she's wearing. She looks like a warrior, doesn't she? She looks like a warrior, and you can see it in her face. It's a beautiful picture that you need that framed on your wall. <laughs> I do. You used the word stoic, and I said to my mom that I was completely speechless uh, by this information. And she said, she was my mom's mom. Her name was Barbara, a very stoic woman who I never saw smile or laugh. She had a very good heart, though. If you ever want to know more, let me know. There are some truly fascinating stories, even of your Oma and her siblings, all women who have been through wars and were super brave. In fact, my mom and her sister did what you are going to do. They helped people across borders to bring them to safety. And that's when I realized, and by the way, my mom is going to fly out from Ireland and visit me here in Ukraine, and she will help as well. But it was that moment that it dawned on me that when my great-grandmother fled the war, when my grandmother helped during the Second World War, and now my mom is coming out and I'm going that it's four generation of women in this family that have helped people flee across the same border. And there's something obviously very emotional in that and very powerful, but also just really disappointing because history just keeps repeating itself in horrible ways. Well, let's hope, Kat, that you're the last generation that has to help people cross this border. I never thought I would see a major European war in my lifetime. So watching this unfold has been just something out of nightmares. And, um, and yes, now to learn that there's this connection and that I'm on this weird soul journey, like somehow I was connected to this place without knowing why. And now, I've, now I find this out. It's even more encouraging. And, um, and I look forward to my mom coming out and then me learning more about my history. It's like it's reconnecting you to something that you didn't even know existed. And, you know, we were talking about this the other night, weren't we? Like whether anything can be truly altruistic and you can make this mission to go and really give and do something for, for others. But actually along that journey, you're learning more and more about yourself. After spending some time in Warsaw, I headed down to the Ukrainian border with a group of volunteers who had come to Poland from all over the world to do what they could to help. One of them was Kat, and another was an American, also from California, called James. James studied Russian and has lived and travelled extensively in the region. We all shared a car and accommodation, so I went to meet James one morning just as he was finishing working a shift at the train station right on the border, welcoming people as they arrived to Poland from all over Ukraine. We're on platform three. So this train came in from Odessa. It was hard for James to leave as women and children continued to need help with their bags. Most had left their husbands, brothers and fathers behind to fight in Ukraine. 
This lady looks lost as well. So this train is blue and yellow, which suggests that it's yeah. come from Ukraine, right? It, it is from Ukraine. It came here from Odessa. So um, many of the people coming in were trying, were either speaking Ukrainian or Polish, but the vast majority came in speaking Russian right away because Odessa is a Russian-speaking city. Right. Interesting. So there are places within Ukraine that speak predominantly Russian. Yeah. Uh, the nation as a whole is bilingual, but some parts tend to tend to prefer Russian and other parts have tended to prefer Ukrainian. Including Zelensky, right? He was always a yes, Russian yeah, yeah. speaker. And, and he's from a region fairly close to Odessa. So yeah, he, his, his birth language or native language is uh, Russian, but learned to improve his Ukrainian as Very he was quickly. running for presidency. Yeah. <laughs> and how has the morale been on the platform? It's actually been fairly high today. There, there have been some people that are, are stressed and in a rush, mostly trying to make connections. I was here last night and it was a vastly different experience. Um, because of the attacks on Lviv, there was a delay in trains and buses entering from uh, Ukraine. Uh, by the evening, when the, when the border opened up again and trains and buses could come in, they were all coming in at the same time and people were in a mad rush to connect to another train or to find a place to stay the night here. So um, nerves were a little more raw last night and there, there was a lot more, there was a lot more help and not as many people providing it, I would okay. say. Um, so a lot more help needed and yes. less, less volunteers. Many more volunteers yesterday than, than there are today, but the need was so much higher, like okay. orders of magnitude higher. So there just weren't enough people to help with all the bags and everything. And the train last night came from uh, Kharkiv. Okay. So were you seeing a lot of emotion? Yes, yeah. Some nerves were pretty raw. Some, but, you know, also like grace and kindness. Uh, they weren't expecting a guy that doesn't look you know, necessarily uh, Ukrainian or Polish to them to try to speak Russian to them, to help them. <laughs> to welcome them in Russian and carry their bags to them and exactly, not provide yeah. cuddly toys for the kids. Right, exactly. Uh, but it, it was, people were stopping far less to, to pick up essentials. They just needed to get where they were going. Right. Uh, you know, I, I tried to give, you know, little juices or candies to kids to help keep them calm, but people were rushing. People were trying to get heavy bags down the steps and up the other steps, you know, in this part of the world, accessibility is kind of an afterthought. Uh -huh. And I've seen some people already in wheelchairs and yeah, push chairs. And I don't know if you've talked about the, the ramps that they have on these staircases. It's so narrow. Yeah, it, it's narrow and it, it's also a very steep angle. Yeah. I and mean, it's a 45 degree angle. So, so can you imagine if you had a push wheelchair controlling it at that speed? It's impossible and, and possibly too narrow to go down. One thing that has been great have been the um, Polish firefighters have been stationed where people are coming in here and at, and at the other end where they're entering the train station to help oh. with the bags. Excuse me, I'm going to... Yep, go on. I don't know. Station. One, which station? It's a train, that train station. Yeah, train station up this way. This way. But if you speak to James, he knows which oh, one. I don't know. <laughs> hi. 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 <laughs> James, this lady would like to know. So you just they just go this way, right, to the other connection. Yes. It's a heavy one. It's very heavy. <laughs> it's packed full.
Wow. Yeah, I feel that in my uh, in my neck. Yeah, you're gonna have. Back at our accommodation, James and I continued chatting about his shift. There's something that I keep thinking about, which is when we came to pick you up after your shift, your second shift in like 12 hours yeah, from the station. When I, sorry to interrupt. It reminds me of when I worked in a restaurant and you'd have to do a closing shift and then an opening shift. Yeah, but it reminded me of when I worked in a restaurant, my dad would come and pick me up after my shift before I could drive and let oh, me right. and Michaela came to get you. Yeah. Um, we saw you on the platform and you were working with, I think, a Scottish guy. Yeah, uh, right? a Scottish guy named Steve. Steve. And Steve said something that keeps going over and over in my mind, that, you know, you were providing people with essentials and the store that you were manning had things like deodorants and candy for the kids and toys and razors and just all sorts of things. And he said, yeah, you know, you don't know what these people are coming from. They're coming from deep within Ukraine. They could have been hiding out in a basement eating cat food for the last week. And he just kind of dropped that in. And it just, I keep thinking about it. I keep thinking that like everybody arriving has a story, right? Of what the last month, six weeks has looked like for them. And we can't even imagine. Right. Because people are coming from different places within Ukraine to that same station. And depending on where they're coming from and what happened on their journey, uh, they could be showing up in Poland with a very different mindset. Yesterday, all the buses and trains were held at the border for, uh, for hours because of an attack on Lviv. And when the, when the evening buses finally got in, they were coming from uh, Kharkiv, which has been, is where uh, Russian attacks have been focused from the beginning. It's right on the border. Um, I'm not sure what the, exact time of transit it would be from Kharkiv to the Polish-Ukrainian border. But I think in the best of times, you're probably looking at 20 hours. So if they were coming straight from there, I'm sure it was even more than that. And people were coming loaded with things that I can't even imagine how they could carry. Uh, Even with me and other volunteers assisting people in carrying things, we were still struggling to to keep all of it together because they're they're just taking what they can and don't necessarily have, you know, our, our... the fancy luggage that some of us do. They're just throwing it in bags and taking what they can. Yeah, and how do you pack your whole life into, right. you know, a suitcase or two? I've got a huge suitcase with me and I'm only away for a couple of months. Right. I don't know what their expectations are. If, you know, I I, I think some people were probably, like you said, packing their whole lives and others are trying to be maintain some optimism that they'll have something to come back to. That evening, Kat called me on her way home from her first day of volunteering at a different border crossing. Before I could even start recording, she was already telling me about some of the gifts that she had been given by Ukrainians that she was welcoming into Poland. A man gave me a special Ukrainian bracelet. A man gave me a piece of his house that got destroyed. Wow. Um, Yeah, like kids were trying to give me their lollipops that they got. We give out the supplies that they need, and then they would go outside to eat. And then, if they had to run on their bus, they would like run back inside just to like hug and hold and say thank you. And it was very, very, very emotional day. And um, again, all I saw was kindness today, and nothing else. And well, sadness, I guess, was the other thing. But yeah, fucking crazy. We were also the border that people that got injured in the Lviv today were transported yeah, so to. Tell me about that. What happened? Did you see them today? 
They definitely came through. Um, we had ambulances on standby right there. We got about uh, 30 minutes heads up, and everybody kind of knew. So we are in, like, we are inside of the border, right? We're in between the two borders. And so it's where the buses stop while people, like, get their documents checked and stuff. They come in and they grab food with us, and uh, we have things for, like, we have diapers and formula and blankets and toys snacks and that kind of stuff and we just kind of entertain the kids and give their parents a quick break and everybody's eating all the seating is outside for the most part and so we just try to stay inside when anybody that was injured came through because you don't want to make it so um it was done very efficiently it was done very quickly uh, for the most part the ambulances just kept going i think there was one transfer the, to one of the Polish ambulances and then they they were saying that they're all going up to Lublin so apparently there's like a good or, or multiple good hospitals up there and so that's where everyone's heading so yeah wow I mean Kat what a first day because this was your first day like on the ground right this was my first day on the ground and would you fucking believe it one of the Ukrainian teenager girls recognized me from the news no way fuck how do you even like have the mental capacity to pick up on that One so second, um, I think the boys are about to leave yes we are do you want to say anything hello Kat we miss you um, one quick We're question you. how you got is that border for medical supplies like triage level stuff there are uh, there are ambulances and medic on site here. Um, I don't know if you heard me talk to Jazz, but they were taking injured people from Lviv up through the border. Yeah, I um, they that. take I a, that yeah, one. Um, so it, medical supplies seem good here. I can poke around a little further. Um, tomorrow I am going to do another supply run. They're very low here on a couple of things. Specifically, they ran out of toys altogether, and I think uh, that the, the kids are just. There was not, again, not a single tantrum thrown. Like, the kids are just fucking adorable and pleases and thank yous and giddy and, like, they just want to play hide-and-seek with you. And, like, we had the, the, you remember from the 90s, like, the slap bracelets? Uh, That you, like, on your We had those, but it's very fun because they're they're sponsored by the lottery, so we're, like, promoting (laughs) gambling on kids but um, they were very excited about the slap bracelet so I'm going to pick up more stuff like that because it was uh, it just like the mood was phenomenal and um, so I'm going to do a major supply run tomorrow uh, I, I'm very looking forward to seeing all of you tomorrow it's oh. going to be much needed the boys are leaving for a shift tomorrow. yeah I, I'm doing a shift at the train station tonight Kat so uh, yeah have a lovely evening I look forward to seeing you tomorrow Yep, and I look forward to hearing everybody else's stories tomorrow and kind of everybody else's experience. During my time in Poland, I was amazed by the cohesive and comprehensive response from both the local and international community. Free food for all Ukrainians and their pets, medical facilities, SIM cards, temporary accommodation, onward transportation. I saw it all and it was amazing. But I couldn't help but think about those fleeing Ukraine who didn't hold a Ukrainian passport. Non-Ukrainian students or refugees who had also had to up and leave but were not able to access these resources. To give you a little context, Ukraine has been a destination for foreign students from places like Nigeria, Sudan, India, Turkey, Azerbaijan for years. 
tuition fees in Ukraine are affordable and you can study in English. So for many students from places like Nigeria, where there are not enough university spaces for the amount of young people who want to study, the opportunity to go to university in Ukraine means a lot. For this reason, when Russia invaded, 77,000 foreign students were left having to figure out what to do next. We probably all heard the stories and saw the pictures of people being blocked at Ukraine's borders or being sent to the backs of queues and treated differently because of the colour of their skin. And not only this, once these students do leave Ukraine, they are not met with the same support or hospitality as Ukrainian citizens. They are not entitled to most of the services provided and they cannot get temporary residence in the European Union in the same way that Ukrainians can, even though they've all fled the same war. Back in Warsaw, I headed to the office of Elmi Abdi, a Somali refugee in Poland who has dedicated his life to supporting migrants here through his organisation, the Foundation for Somalia. Since the invasion of Ukraine in late Feb, he is focusing specifically on supporting non-Ukrainian citizens arriving in Poland as a result. We focus it on non-Ukrainian people as a foundation. Last time when we even count the people, our beneficiary, there were more than 40 countries. Elmi has a special way about him. I felt immediately calm in his presence and he radiates goodness and wisdom. Here's our conversation. There's a lot of non-Ukrainian people fleeing from Ukraine. And the treatment that they felt here in Poland, it was not good. Mm-hmm. Just crossing the border, okay, they allowed them to come inside, but just giving them 15 days to leave the country. Most of them, they were students. Some of them, they were living there for a long, long time. They want to go back to there, but they have only 15 days. I didn't know that. So if you were Ukrainian, a Ukrainian national coming to Poland, you can stay. But if you're from a third country, you only have 15 days in Poland. So you have to leave the country. I had no idea about that. Tell us a little bit more about that, about how the last few weeks have looked since everything has happened in Ukraine, how your work has changed and, and shifted. Polish people, they are very good people. They want to help. Okay, everybody wants to help do something. People making some kind of sandwich, something like that, bringing food, clothes. We as a foundation, we want to look how to help these people in the long term. Mm. Some of them, may, for sure, they, they go back to Ukraine. But there is a lot of people that they don't have where to go back. So I have to think about these people. Let's try to help these people because... The Ukrainian people, the government guarantee everything, yes. They have a place where to sleep and they have every kind of help from the government or for the other Polish people. But these non-Ukrainian people, we have to deal with them. So because there was a lot of people who just ran away from that war, they didn't have nothing where to sleep, something like that. So we rent them uh, houses. We're still paying, for example, for a hostel for, for non-Ukrainian people, transportation, food, everything. When they arrived, Ukrainian, they had free train from, from the border to or so other places. But non-Ukrainian, they didn't allow them to go to the bus, something like that. So we organized some kind of transportation from that place to, to, to help these people on mm-hmm. helping these non-Ukrainian, especially from uh, people of African descent. Elmi takes me back to when the Russian invasion first happened in February. The first three, four days, I didn't even sleep. There was more than 300 Somalian people living there. They are coming, coming. They were very tired because they were in the queue, for example, 40 kilometers, 30 kilometers in the queue, walking them. Some of them, they didn't have even where to sleep. 
So me and my friend, we were trying to help them. There was no space where to sleep. For the young people, I give even here space in our foundation for some nights. To in the sleep. office? In the office, yes. And I say, okay, please, you have to wake up before 9 o'clock. <laughs> yeah. You can't believe someone's sleeping on your desk while you're trying to work. <laughs> yes. Like I say, but it was this kind of help that we are offering them. Uh, yesterday, even my friend, he wrote to me, uh, I will show you what you wrote yesterday and... Okay, what it was this one? Okay, no. Sorry. No, it's okay. Take your time. You see, I just came back from seeing... Because I have, we have the contact with the 20 students from Nigeria in a hostel. Okay. And he said he just came back from Ancintan and they have all kinds of medical needs. If you say one has body pain and headache and says it's not COVID, there's a woman needed to see a gynecologist. Yeah. Another is a three months pregnant, three months pregnant, to have glau- glaucoma, I don't know what is that, glaucoma, I need glasses and eyes test. Another has a skin rash infection, some need health insurance, all need food, some need shoes, other need clothes, all need mental health assistance. Mm. Yeah, just 20 people. But you see, for the Ukrainian, all these things are for free. All this is for free. So that's why we are trying to help all these people, non-Ukrainian people, and this is what we're doing right now. Because a lot of people, they need psychological help. Yeah, because I wonder, you know, it must be very confusing for people to decide what to do because suddenly they're in a new country, a third country, Poland, and I guess it's not that easy for people to then go home like, and they can't stay here. So what are their options long term, for example, these 20 Nigerians? The problem is the universities they are cheap, but most of the students were studying medical and here right. is a very expensive my, my Sudanese friend too, she was studying medicine in Ukraine and that's because it's cheap there. Yes, it? it's cheap that. Right. And here in comparison with this, it's 10,000 euros per year. Wow. So nobody can afford that. The problem is these people cannot go back to their country. Some of them, they, cannot, they don't want to go back to their country because they have some problem there. Yeah. And they are trying to stay here looking for a job, something like that. But it's a very complicated system. If they want a job, they must have permission. And to have this kind of permission is a very difficult. What does it, the process look like seeking asylum in, in Poland? Is it straightforward? Can anybody seek asylum? Yes, but the problem is for a person from Nigeria, they self reject some, I mean, that's a law of your country, is, uh, there is no, even if there's some kind of uh, problem, there's. Yeah, um, there's Boko Haram, right? There's many yes, problems. Yes, but in- you say, even you can, if there is some, in some place there's a Boko Haram, you can go to another place. So. You are not a refugee, you are not qualified as a refugee. They will deport you then after two. Okay. Our organization is half of our employees, they are, from, they are foreigners. Yeah. And the other half, they are Polish. Cool. We put in the front desk, they are immigrants. So if an immigrant comes to our office, he finds somebody who speaks his own language. Brilliant. He, he understands his culture. So he don't even have a problem to talk about his problems. Some of these, our employees, they come here looking for help. And now they are helping other immigrants. I love that. Yes.
when I see the face of somebody come here to, uh, to our office and we help them, this is always all about it. Mm-hmm. It's what, what I'm every day coming here. To. I don't have to come here every day, but I just want to see the people, the reaction of the people. Mm-hmm. Even we invite them, okay, if you don't have even a problem, just please come here and have a coffee with us. Mm-hmm. Talk to us. I've been thinking a lot about the non Ukrainian people leaving Ukraine and what that looks like for them, reading a lot about it. So I'm just really, really happy that you are here. The story that we heard from these people when they crossed the border, even before, even before crossing the border, they had a problem with the, the Ukrainian site. But sometimes they were in queue in 10 hours. When they come close, they say, no, you have to go back because the priority of the Ukrainian people, but it was the Ukrainian site. And then when they crossed the border, they didn't allow to go to the bus. There was a lot of buses waiting for people. There was trains waiting for people, taking the people from Ukraine. But they said, no, you, no, you cannot go. That's why we organized a lot of transportation from that place. By ourselves, we are spending our money, our own money. Did you ever expect that this would happen? Were you prepared as an organization? Nobody would prepare this. We, they were telling that there will be um, war, but not in terms that real war, yes. Mm-hmm. The people, they're afraid of this. We're still afraid. I'm afraid because Putin can do everything. Mm. And I want to give you this opportunity just before we finish to think about if there's anything else that you would like people in the UK or in the US listening to this to know. Yes, for sure. Please, if you listen to me and <laughs> if you can donate, it will be easier for us to do what we are going, to, what we are doing. Mm-hmm. Really, we appreciate any, any pens. When this war began, everybody asked money. Yes, for funding. Can you imagine that the Polish organization, they got more than one million, two million, something like that. And we raised just 7,000 a lot or something like that. Mm. And there's so and much money been raised for Ukraine. Yes, but you see the difference between, because when they sue the foundation for some money, they, they don't even, but nobody's care what we're doing, but I, we know what we are doing. So let's think about other immigrants coming here to Poland, because we as immigrants, we know the difficulty they have. So let's begin helping these people. Not only refugees, but every immigrant coming here to Poland. If you would like to donate to Elmi Abdi and his amazing work with the Foundation of Somalia, supporting non-Ukrainian refugees from Ukraine, we have set up a fundraiser for him, which you will find in the show notes and in our Instagram bio. If you would like to find out more about volunteering on the border or ways to support Ukrainian people, we have included more information in the show notes. Thank you for listening today. I'm always open to thoughts and feedback. To get in touch, send me a direct message on Instagram at the Worldwide Tribe. Other actions you can take to support this podcast and join the Worldwide Tribe are to visit our shop and buy a t-shirt or hoodie, or donate. All details are in the show notes and in my Instagram bio. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it, rate it and leave a review. It helps more people to find this podcast and it helps me to keep bringing you these stories. Finally, please go and give our amazing sponsor a visit at lovewelcomes.org or lovewelcomes on Instagram. Remember to use the code WWT at checkout for 10% off. 
The more people who come on this journey with us, the more connected we all become and the more we unite as one worldwide tribe. shout out to Alexander Wells at alexanderwells.co.uk for our audio production and original score and to Ez Stone for mixing this episode.